Hey everybody, welcome to Don't Quit Your Day Job. Definitely Don't Quit Your Day Job, I think, is the message of the day right now. Maybe uh, if you're getting minimum wage, it could. there's a good chance that you're going to get uh, $15 an hour, right? You think that's going to pass, Kevin? Kevin, Kevin Cook is here. So, yeah, yeah, what do you have to say, Kevin? I, I was going to say, I, I certainly hope so, at least for all those people that uh, I can't imagine trying to live, um, you know, mortgaged and child and everything on a minimum wage. It would not be doable. Right, right. Okay, we are... Uh, we are going to get started here. I have a, I have a couple of questions for Kevin. Uh, for those of you who maybe didn't listen to the previous episodes that Kevin was on, Kevin is a drummer of all things, and he plays in Los Vampiros Amarillos. Uh, again, am I saying that right, Kevin? Pretty good? You, you're very good, sir. <laughs> and he is a Pittsburgh guy. And uh, his day job is he's a letter carrier for the post office. So I'm going to start with with what I think is a simple question about the post office, but maybe not. And the question is, oh is, is the post office a federal agency? Yes, it is a federal agency. I am a federal employee. I can legally tell you that my boss is Joe Biden. Um, I, though we are not, um, we are run and operated as a private company. It is an entity of the federal agency. So that's what's so, confusing, right? I've heard lots of people right. say the post office is not a federal agency. No, we, we are federal employees. Uh, it is a federal agency run like a separate business. After 1972, when the post office workers went on strike and formed their own union, we went from the uh, post office to the United States Postal Service. Basically, the main difference that you need to know as a taxpayer is I haven't taken $1 of your taxes since 1972. I get paid by you shipping records or getting stuff sent to you or just sending Christmas cards. That's how we make our dough. Uh-huh. So mm -hmm. when, so is the Postmaster General an appointed federal office then? Yes, it is appointed by the president, as 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 came to light in this right. uh, last recent couple six months, because the guy that was put in charge of the post office is basically an enemy of the post office, which was very fun, <laughs> you know. And you mentioned it last time, but let's explore it a little bit more here. Uh, you mentioned that there was no real danger of the post office going away anytime soon. So let's let's expound on that because I sometimes hear. Uh, we're going to lose the post office, and then we'll have to use DHL or whatever else. So, so what's going on there? Uh, all I would need to do is bring you into the sorting facility at Cranberry uh, at about three in the morning, a uh, week before Christmas, <laughs> and just stretch my arm out and say, "Behold, good luck, Amazon, sorting this shit out, dude." <laughs> I mean, the, the the thing you have to remember is we are uh, we really are the only legitimate source of getting information to every single house from East Coast to West Coast in one day. I don't care how many Amazon or DHL drivers out there, they literally couldn't do the job that we do. And by the way, that's not, I mean, they do obviously ship a lot of parcels, as do we. I sound like I work for the company now. <laughs> like like, I'm, a, like uh, I'm a union rep. But I mean, just the sheer volume of letters that get sent is, is astonishing. And I, for years, oh, the, what about email? I'm like, when's the last time you checked your email? I have like 20,000 unopened emails. You always check that letter from uh, PNC Bank saying urgent open. Right. right. So that's true. You know. So now, let's, and when, again, yeah. we're in the Constitution, so we're not going anywhere. Right. 
okay, let's, let's take the idea then you have a good job, you have a good day job uh, that you're not yeah. going to quit anytime soon. But let's nope. say we are not in, in pandemic times. And let's say your new record comes out and it gets some pretty good reviews. Some people across, across the country are interested. And there's, let's say, a 70% chance that you could make decent money over the next year. Nothing guaranteed beyond that, but 70% chance you could make decent money, equivalent to what you make at your day job now. Could you... Kevin Cook walk away from your day job at least for that short period of time and if you did could you go back fuck it man I quit because I gotta live my dream <laughs> no no I I, sw I would never in a million years do that um, uh, you know if someone wanted to sign us and put our album out uh, and maybe like we get to take two weeks off I pull some strings and say there's some family emergency and secretly like Hey guys, don't post anything because we're on tour for two weeks. I mean, that would be as much of the dream as I would need to taste. I mean, really, I I can't. All that success in the arts, quote unquote success, um, is not worth putting my job and certainly the security of my wife and my son at risk. You know, it would be really lovely. It would, you know, the record would be up on the wall. Uh, right. I mean, this isn't video, but you can see behind me. I have all the stuff hung up in my little area here in the basement. It would be up on the wall, and I'd, I, at some point, my son would be like, hey, didn't you get an album? My friends of mine are saying you had an album that you guys put out once, and it got, like, whatever reviews. Like, yeah, it was, it was a fun time. I took a week off. We played some shows. We did this thing in L.A. and New York, and then we went home because I want to, you know, I'm a dad, and I'm a mailman, and, you know, that's that's more rewarding at the end of the day than, you know, that the glare once the stage lights shut off it can be a lonely world what if paul so, weller was going to take you out for three months how would you how would you work that out um, i probably i mean like i swear to god like the phone call rings i would talk to my wife and i'm sure that she would be supportive of it but i wouldn't do it i would tell him three weeks yeah that's that's more than enough time away from my wife and son but i can't be gone for three months that's my relationship and my family and my security and in, in creating this life that we've created for ourselves my wife and myself included is is just too valuable but it would be an awesome three weeks let me tell you but you paul know, weller it's get... paul weller the hey, listen, man, I'll, be out for three, I'll be out for three weeks i'll get to sing the high vocals on uh <laughs> you know eaton rifles and i'll be able to sing the high vocals on town called malice and just drum my ass off and then and then you know the record label would buy me a drum kit suckers because then i keep the damn thing <laughs> Um, and I would have a little bit of a stipend and say, Hey, look, I just made X amount of dollars so I can pay the mortgage for the next two months straight or three months straight, probably. So let's, that was the trade off. Right. But right. then, yeah, then, then I would like call the guys and be like, I can't do anything for three months. Cause I was just, was, I left my wife at home with a three-year-old for, three, right, right. for three weeks. I'm lucky she's still my wife. So let's say you were able to do it. Let's say you went away for six months and everything was cool but you had to leave your job um, with the post office. So my question there is, could you go back to your job? Is that is that a possibility working that, for the government? That would probably, I mean, I could, but I'd have to start all over again. And I'd have to start at the bottom of my pay scale, bottom of seniority. Wow. Okay. So that's, that, that six months would have to be a huge freaking paycheck for me to take that kind of, plus like when I go back, I'd go back under the pretense of working seven days a week until I make career regular. And that is no fun because they can just do whatever that i worked from 
my first year working for the Postal Service, I worked from January 2nd to April 28th of 2016 without one day off. Wow. So, yeah, like people will talk about, is it that tough? I'm like, it's brutal. It, it is just, I didn't even, I, I just like walked around Regent Square in a daze for like an hour after they told how me I was they, off. And I was like, how, I do, how do you get away with like not having a day off? Aren't you required to have a day off? Uh, they, they, in the new contract, they are now because they were running guys into the ground and guys were quitting left and right. Uh, Sundays, you basically just drive off Amazon parcels for five or six hours. Okay. But, um, I mean, I'm, you know, you got 220 parcels in your truck. That's 220 times you're getting in and out of the truck to start it and stop it and drop off parcels. So it's almost as, it's almost worse than just carrying a route because at least right. carrying a route, you're like used to the pace. I can put on my podcast and listen to you and I BS while I deliver the mail because I have my route, I have my route completely memorized. So I can like, it's just mechanical. I just like look at a letter and go, that person moved here. That person doesn't live here. Oh, this person. Oh, they, 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 they have a whole, you know, it's, you just, it's like, it's like anything you do every day. It just becomes second right. nature. Okay. One last post office question then. Uh, if you're a, if you're a letter, this is the post office podcast now. <laughs> yeah. If you're well, I mean, this is the day job part of it. If you're yeah, if yeah. you're a letter carrier in Pittsburgh, can you go be a letter carrier in Wisconsin? Sure. Yeah. I mean, if there's an opening in a particular office, you, you you've got a job waiting for you wherever you go. Okay. Um, I mean, I've never transferred. I've transferred from one office to another in the city. I don't know how it is in the state, but I mean, I've had buddies of mine I work with like they moved from wherever to Pittsburgh because my buddy's wife got a job and she's a teacher and, and he just transferred his job here and he bounced around a little bit, but you know, uh, his manager from his office, I forget what state he moved from, but his manager called my boss and said, Hey, he's great. Just try to plug him in wherever until he can hold down a route. And then a route opened up. He put a hold down on it. Then he put a proper bid on it and he got it. And so cool. he's in our section and he'll be here until December of next year when she's done I think she's working and getting a PhD. And when she's done, they're going to move back to uh, where they originally came from. Okay, so. cool. All right. So that fulfills our day job portion. Now we can move on to the, to the arts uh, music portion of our lives. Um, and I want to start with a drummer question. So you may recall, I asked why drummers are the worst and going along. Which is a bold question. The first time we're talking, <laughs> let me tell you, I was about, well, this has been a great interview. <laughs> So the shortest, if, shortest if, podcast ever. If we if we if we use that as a jumping off point, so Mark Tromalgia, my my buddy out in California, he yeah. was he was about to embark on a tour. He was in Bang Tango at the time, and we I talked about this in a in a recent podcast. The tour was Warrant, L.A. Guns, and Bang Tango, and and, the, and half the band didn't want to go. And on the night of the tour, the bus call was at seven a.m. Uh, the drummer said, I'm not going unless you give me more money. And holy shit. Yeah. As it turned out, he didn't go. And so Mark told the story of how they went in the back of the paper, the LA papers at the time, and called some dude who was advertising. <laughs> and he learned That's amazing. He learned the songs like on, on the bus ride, you know, set up in the back and play air drums and, and did the show. So my question for you is get into the headspace of this drummer if you can. Um, not, not the dick drummer who said, I'm going to leave you because I mean, that's, we don't need to investigate that at all. That's just a dick. But how do you, how do you say, yes, I'll go on tour for three months playing arenas 
and I don't know the songs yet, but I'll learn them. What kind of confidence as a drummer does that take? That's insane to me. I mean, I can turn on the radio and play along to almost anything. Like, and I say that with a lot of breathing space in that, in that answer. Like if you put on any top 40, like Motown or, or pop, uh, you know, like whatever is on, you know, and, and unless it's metal or jazz, I could pretty much keep a time, a, a solid beat to anything. And, and listening to the, this is a lot of theater training kicks in, which makes me okay. an interesting drummer because I'm trying to play the emotion behind the song of the music and the lyrics. I like, I had a conversation once with, um, uh, uh, Max Weinberg, one of my heroes, he confessed to me he didn't know how to read music until he got to Conan. He just read horn charts because that's where the emotion of the music, like if the horns are coming in on this part, he knew to lay into his ride cymbal more. And then when they dropped out, go back to the hi-hat, you learn to play the emotion of the song. And if you listen to, I mean, I'm 40, wait, no, 43. I'm 43. <laughs> it took a second. I'm 43 years old. I mean, I've, I've spent since the age of seven in front of a radio listening to music and every single day I listen to music, you listen to enough music, you, you get a feel for where a song is going to have like, you, you know, there's certain song structures like A, A, B, A, you know, verse, verse, chorus, verse, or whatever. You, you get a feeling of where the song is going so you can confidently follow it. I mean, there are some amazing, like one of my heroes, Matt Cameron got a call to join Pearl Jam in 97, 98. I mean, he had two weeks to learn 80 songs. And by the way, 80 songs isn't a lot for Pearl Jam because on any given night they can they have like a huge back catalog to play right. and probably like five good covers. If you're a good drummer and you know if you're familiar enough with a lot of styles, if you've got a, a good amount of training and you don't pigeonhole yourself as oh I only play this music or this music, if you can jump in with the band and hang, much like Mark did, you know, playing guitar in different projects. Like one minute he's playing with a hair metal kind of outfit, next minute he's playing soul and funk. If you can hang with bands and you have enough music in you, you can you, you can learn something like that. You know, I actually I love I got I got a call was this last summer or two summers ago. Uh, the band um, uh, uh, Vertigo Go was a surf rock band, local surf rock band. I know all the guys. Uh, Greg and I were in a t uh, surf rock band years ago. He's a guitar player. DJ Zombo is the bass player. And Gary, their drummer, was just deathly ill. And they called me with three hours. And they said, we're playing, you know, we're playing the new Thunderbird. Can you do it? And I just sat in with them because I'm familiar enough with their set, having seen them enough. Fortunately, I had like videotaped them not too long ago. So I was editing a bunch of that footage together. So I know where the songs are going. And then plus, like, if you've listened to as much surf rock and garage rock as I do, you know where they're going to go. You just got to just keep a solid time and try to be expressive in certain moments and, and, and push the song forward. But doesn't it that was take a very a, long answer? Yeah, to your question. I mean, Sorry. and that's all that's all great. But doesn't it take a certain level of confidence that you're not going to ruin it? Oh, fuck. So, absolutely. No, no. I mean, if you had asked me to do that in 2000, I would have shit the bed and it would have been horrible. You know, I, you know, I'd only been playing drums for like maybe five years at that point. It would have been a disaster. But I got asked to do a project when I was in college playing music to. It was like a Billy Joel tribute. And Liber I'm not a big Billy Joel fan, but I have like a bunch of the earlier records. And Liberty DeVito was one of my favorite drummers. He's the, he was the drummer for Billy Joel in the early days. And I told my buddy, I was like, I, give me a week. And, I, and we sat in and we started playing. It was just him on piano. No, nobody else had shown up yet. It was him on piano and me on drums. And we played it. 
his girlfriend came down and said, that sounds great. How long you guys been rehearsing? And he's like, this is the first time we played. And I was like, yeah, because it's like I, I grew I mean, I was listening to Van Halen, but these songs were on the radio. So they're right. floating around in my psyche. Right. And I'm a good enough musician to grab a hold of it and hold it down. So does, does the crowd size make a difference there? So when when Mark did this with this fill in drummer, they were about to go on a three month run with Warren and L.A. Guns in 2000 to 5000 seat arenas. Does, mm-hmm. does that make a difference in, in the calculus when you're thinking about, can I do this or not? Not really, because it's like jumping the ocean. It's like, you don't really care how deep the water is. All you can do is swim. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, like it's, if, it was in, if it was in front of Howlers or if it was in front of a sold-out Mr. Smalls or if I was sitting in with a man at State J.E., you can only see so far ahead of you. Yeah. The only thing I'm doing is listening to the guitarist and bass player and listening to the lyrics and trying to play. I mean, for that buddy that joined Mark, if I would be thinking it was a great opportunity because all these people are going to see them, and especially if they play really good shows, the first thing they're going to say is, yeah, the fucking drummer, he learned the, he learned our whole set list on the bus right out to Detroit. Like, he doesn't... We Oh, how long has he been with you? We called him like 24 hours before we were leaving. Right. Isn't this guy great? And then that, that guy gets his name around. Oh, oh, you need a you need a drummer. Here's a go to guy I know. Like, right, yeah. So you know that's why when Gary said he was sick, Greg was like, "You were the first person I thought to call." I thank once, God I was able to do it. I so uh, of course I'm a guitar player. I played in a cover band in the Chicago suburbs. The drummer was sick one day, so we played the show, and I simply slid into the drummer seat. And again, I can keep a beat. You know, I I have I have time from playing with the metronome, and I can do three fills. And so basically I went through our cover set because it's the same sort of thing. I knew the songs because they're all cover songs and I play them on guitar. So now I'm just yeah. trying to translate and not screw everything up for the rest of the band because when you're a guitar player, you can make a thousand mistakes and most people will never know. But if you're a drummer and you make a mistake, everybody it's, knows. It's a heartbeat. It's a rhythm. I, it's everybody who's dancing on that dance floor is dancing to a beat of some kind, whether it's in a dance club or whether it's in like a, an old school R&B bar shot juke joint. Like, I mean, or whiskey and bar shot. I don't whatever. I'm just trying to I'm trying to think like early E Street or if it's like Sade or if it's fucking, I don't know, <laughs> like Iron Maiden or if Sade. it's they're all I'm just trying to think of like the most extreme examples of like jumping around. They're right, all okay. they're all moving to that beat. And it's if the bass player and, and the guitar or bass player and the drummer are locked in, the guitarist can screw up a couple times. But if that backbone is screwed up yeah. again, I said this in the last episode, uh, our last interview, we did um, Joe Strummer. The unwritten rule of rock and roll is you're only as good as your drummer. Yeah. And if your drummer is yeah. absolute shit, you're dead in the water. Yeah. Yeah. So. When you go out and you see, and when you see bands, whether it's a big band or whether it's a, a local band playing at Howlers or whatever, how much does it hurt your soul to see a drummer who's bad playing? Real quick, for those who aren't seeing the video, Mark and I both went from whiskey and bourbon to I'm now drinking Italian mineral water, and he just grabbed the coconut water. So <laughs> this is just perfect. It's a perfect. It's a perfect segue from it. That's basically like my Metallica Sade reference I just made, or Iron Maiden Sade reference. So how much does it hurt my soul? It's yeah. it's kind of like I told a friend of mine who's a comedian. I said it's like you watching one of your friends bomb. Like it's really painful. But to a, a fiend, there's a small fiendish pleasure where it's kind of funny. 
especially if that band is playing before you because you're like i've got no worries this guy has lowered the bar so low that as long as i just keep a beat i mean i'm gonna be the hero of the night and then if the, the next band i know is better than us like if, if, it, if we were playing before teen riot i know gary's gonna fucking play his ass off so it's like all i need to do is just not do what he's doing and i'm, I'm, I'm sitting pretty so i mean it, it, it is i tell you what it's when it's frustrating when a band um i've seen this a couple times locally a band gets so much hype oh, these guys are so awesome these guys are amazing and they're like hipster cool and they get up there and they fucking have a bad show like i've i can't tell you how and i'm usually the vocal one and i was at a show once where jesse turned to me and he's like am i missing something here and i said yeah they're having a really bad night and this was a band that was playing in front of smalls in front of a national touring act okay, yeah. and i was like and their album their album sounded great but i was watching them i'm like they sound like they've been rehearsing for two weeks and they just this is their first gig and it's fucking artistically speaking on local level it's really embarrassing when that's the representation right. for an out-of-town band but if it's just local bands at Hallers, oh, it's delicious. It's just, I just, I just love. I was just like, oh, that he he has no idea what he's doing, or or whoever. Like it's just, it's amazing. Like, oh, his shirt looks great, but Jesus Christ, he has no idea what he's doing up there. So that brings up the question: Do you prefer to play? Uh... So let's presume we're not going to a punk rock show where there's five bands and the first band doesn't start till 10. But let's say it's yeah. a, a more normal show, three bands um, starting at a reasonable hour. Where do you prefer it? Where, where's your ideal slot if it's local, love, all local bands? I love being in the middle. I love being in the middle because I love seeing what the first band is going to do. And I love I love playing our asses off to to get the crowd warmed up for the next band. It's something I really, really enjoy. I don't know where that comes from because a lot of I've thought for the longest time that the place you want to be is at the end slot, but I've discovered more and more it's safer to be in the middle because there's a I, I still don't understand it to this day. And I see, by the way, I'm just going to call this out. I see a lot of fucking local musicians doing this, but that let's show up fashionably late. So they show up at the during the last two songs of the first band set. And let's just hypothetically say this is a show I put together at Smalls and they walk in in the last two songs. Thanks a lot, guys. They hang out for the middle band and then they spend the third band set networking. And then they say they tweet how awesome the show was, even though they weren't paying attention for half of it and then they right. leave. So from an attention span level, I found that the middle slot is great. But also, too, I like being in the middle because typically I'll book, like, say um, – like we we played a show once with the beagle brothers who are amazing uh and they're folk country bluegrass like they're just such a great band but it makes sense for us to play after them because we're just simply louder okay but then it makes sense for lo-fi delphi to play after us because they have five members and they have essentially three lead singers in the band and they can be a lot louder and they're a lot more i i like we're a bit more stripped down they're more poppy and polished so it makes a lot of sense to have this kind of natural progression in right. terms of the energy. Right. And I love showing up and just killing it and then like walk off stage. And it's kind of a fun thing. Like, you know, we once had, speaking of Lo-Fi Delphi, we once had them open for us. And I turned to Jesse, this is our album release like three years ago. I turned to him, I'm like, I think I just screwed us. <laughs> He's like, yeah, they're playing great. I mean, they're friends of ours, They but they were playing their new song called Sweet Sweet. And it was so good. 
and I was so into it and I was like kind of moving along and I looked at Jesse and he was laughing at me kind of singing along to it and I'm like I completely screwed us don't mess up <laughs> it's like, if we have a bad show everyone's gonna be like their album was good they didn't play well <laughs> but I, I love that I love I love that middle slot it's kind of a, a sweet slot you know so let's leave this episode then. That went that went fast, but let's leave it with this last question. If we're we're on this topic, which is uh, sharing gear. So do do you have any issue with anyone playing your gear, or are you the guy that would prefer not? Are you the guy that always wants to bring yours and let everyone use your stuff? How how do you approach that? It just if I know the drummers. There's drummers in the city that I would I I, I, t- I tell them don't even take the cymbals off if it's going to make the changeover faster, and that's like a uh, as a drummer that's like oh really it's like I, I've seen you play I know even if they play as hard as me I'm like I know you're not going to break anything uh, if it's a band I don't know I'll just say hey man just bring your breakables and okay. even drummers that I know I like my own seat I like the resistance I have multiple pedals that I use that I like and the the sound of the cymbals and my snare is kind of my voice I can play toms of someone else's drums. But that snare and those cymbals are my sound, similar to like guitar pedals and guitar amps. Um, I will avoid trying to play other people's stuff because I just feel you should always have your gear. But yeah, I mean, if it's my buddy Joe or if it's, um, there's a couple of people I can think about where I'm just like, yeah, just, I know you're going to use your snare, but you can leave everything else on if it's easier. And 99.9% of the time, they're always like, are you sure? I'm like, dude, you're, you're fine. You know, you, I play a lot harder than you and I know you're not going to break my stuff. So what, what are you driving? What's your vehicle to load all your crap into? Uh, oh, well, I mean, we have a Volkswagen, but, uh, we, we moved from the hatchback to, uh, the regular, uh, car, but what typically what we'll do is we'll go to Jesse's house. Jesse and I will meet, uh, Ben lives about 45 minutes South of the city. So he'll go to the gig separate. And often Jesse and I will meet at his house and load all of our gear into he's got an suv so then we'll get there first find parking um we'll just start bringing everything in and the first goal was to just get like in the like if you're playing club cafe just get it all in the door don't even worry about setting up until we're all parked and (laughs) ready to go so right on yeah well thanks as always kevin it's 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 great to talk to you you have so much to talk about you're so knowledgeable so it's much appreciated uh thanks to everyone who's listening to the podcast please like and subscribe and tell your frenemies about us if you want to play with los vampiros amarillos i will of course put all the links down there and you can email bomb kevin to make sure that you're using all of his gear and getting on a show with him as soon as shows start again Thanks, Kevin. Gracias, I appreciate it. <laughs> Thanks, man.